Wait. What's up, nerd? <laughs> oh, yeah, more time. Another walnut? Okay, I'm sorry. I thought I had more time. I hate us. I didn't want to swallow the whole nut, you know? Please listen carefully. joining us for our second episode of our audio slash video podcast big cast special events this is christina reads a special presentation by everyone and their sister podcast my name is christina and i'm your host i'm stephanie and the book i will be defending today is lord of scoundrels by loretta chase and a little bit about the couple before we get into it is the couple main couple is jessica and dane and i think they uh subvert many of the qualities typical in a archetypal romantic hero and heroine and i saw that face but i'm gonna say <laughs> this is an equal partnership that you want to see in books uh i'm natasha and i'm defending spoiler alert which is a rom-com set in the fan fiction world surrounding a tv show based on a book called gods of the gate the main couple in this are april whittier and marcus castor rupp uh and it's just hijinks and sue and that's all i'm gonna say Hello everyone, uh, my name is Marina. I am defending the book, Take a Hand, Danny Brown by Talia Hipper. Um, the book follows Danica Brown and Zafir Ansari, often, often referred to as Danny and Zaf in the book. Um, this is a friends to lovers and fake dating trope based book where uh, friends Danny and Zaf basically fall in love while pretending to be a couple for a publicity stunt. Hi, I'm Shanice. I am defending The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Uh, the main couple in this one is Stella Lane and Michael Fan. Uh, she is an econometrist with autism who decides to hire a escort to teach her how to be intimate and learn about sex. All right. Well, thank you guys for introducing your books. So if you were here for our last episode, you'll know that what we're doing today is a bunch of people have picked these books that they love with these main couples that they really love. And they think that I, somebody who reads some romance, but nowhere near the amount that they read, uh, should absolutely read, and they thought that I would absolutely love. So it's been a while since they introduced these books to me. We've gone away for about two weeks. I've read all of these books. These guys have read everybody else's and reread their own. And we're going in today to have a hot debate about these main couples and were they actually worth the time and effort you put into them? Are they books that I genuinely should have read? Seems dicey. Everyone today will have a chance to vote on which is the book that they thought actually did have the best mean couple that everyone should read. Um, they can't vote for their own book to keep it fair. Otherwise, we would just have a bunch of votes for everyone's individual book. But also, because really, this is called Christina Reads, not They Fucking Read, uh, my vote will be worth <laughs> two points and their vote, will, their vote will only be worth one. So we're going to first start with the book Spoiler Alert. So, Nat, let's talk about this. Before we go anything, because uh, we're going to have some some thoughts about everybody's book, I do want to say the things that I did like. And it's worth mentioning that all of these books are actually very good. They're very well reviewed. So ultimately, no matter what I think about them and no matter what issues I had with them, they're clearly bangers. Everybody who picked them loves them. We're going to defend them pretty hard. But I just want to specify that because we're going to go in hard into some of them. Uh, so some things worth noting. So spoiler alert with April and Marcus, I really love that it's like a plus size woman that is in the main character. I think the way that Olivia Dade wrote the plus size character April is really strong. She's not, she is not preoccupied with her weight. She is, knows who she is. She's happy with who she is. She's dating somebody who is happy with who she is, but there are a lot of external factors that come along with being plus size. And I think that that was done really well in this book. I think they have a very strong, caring for each other like there's solid communication for the most part throughout the book um and overall this is definitely one of my one of my favorite couples from the board books that were chosen but there are some things that need to be discussed about this okay because at the end of the day the concept of this book is that marcus is a celebrity in a show that april writes fan fiction about and like yes he also writes fan fiction about his own show but how do you ever get over this like weird parasocial relationship where, you know, her acting like, oh, I was never really a big fan of him. I don't know that much about him. He's still a celebrity in a show you loved. I know fandom. I've been in it. You know enough about him. That's pretty hard 
to get out of your fucking brain when you're on a date with him. Uh, and you are always going to have this little piece of relationship of like, it's cool. You know, now that we're dating, when I write fan fiction about your character, I'm not picturing you. I'm picturing a fake book version of you. Bruh, you pictured this man fucking a bunch of different people. And that needs to be just acknowledged. You need to understand that. How are you ever going to get over that? I still don't even get how this man can not just write, but read fan fiction about the show he's in. Because like, being an actor and being a show, that's a fucking job. Like, don't you just want to calm down when you leave work? Like, how can you be in this show for six months? You fucking hate it. You think the dudes that are running it are doing a terrible job. Because, by the way, the show is Game of Thrones, 1,000%. Uh, but then you want to go home and you're like, no, I still want to think about work? Fuck that noise. Like, what kind of nonsense is that? You need to take a goddamn break from this story sometimes, all right? There's also the element that this man is 1,000% Nicolaj Coster Waldo. Like, just in case you weren't sure with the way they're described as looking the exact same, the way that he's Swedish and Nikolaj is Danish, the way they're clearly in the show Game of Thrones, the way that he's clearly playing a Jamie Lannister-type character to a Brienne-type character, literally, this man's full name is Marcus Castor Rupp. And the <laughs> real person's name is Nikolaj Castor Waldo. Like, um, and he lies to her for months. Like the show, the book addresses that there's risks in him being able to tell her like, hey, I was writing fan fiction that slammed the show I'm on. Like that's definitely a risk to his career. But they, like he lied for months about the fact that he knew so much about her. And it doesn't really get addressed. The finale of the book, the way that they sort of wrap up, you know, that third act breakup and like, how are they gonna find each other again? How are they gonna fix each other? They don't really sit down and have a conversation about what went on. They really just kind of talk about, oh, you know, I, I she kind of comes to realize through external forces why he probably couldn't tell her sooner, but you don't really get to see that conversation with them. And for me, it kind of was like, it wrapped up really quickly. It was kind of like a very speedy recovery to that sort of relationship. When that's a huge fucking thing of trust. This man knows things about you that you were like, oh fuck, like you had no idea he knew about you. And he didn't come out and tell you, you found out because he said some shit that you were like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to know that. And suddenly he was like backed into a corner of like, well, now if I lie, I'm actively lying, not just lying by omission. So, you know, while this was overall a pretty solid like relationship, there's a lot of little things to consider. And like, it's wild. It's crazy that in and even in a book, these two people would get together. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot to unpack. <laughs> let's uh, let's start with the parasocial aspect for sure. Um, I think it's really clear from the beginning that April is writing fan fiction regularly about Marcus's character Aeneas and Lavinia specifically, um, not Summer, the actress that plays Lavinia. So I think she makes a really good boundary when she's writing that it's about the relationship. You even know, like you said before, she's not really she doesn't really have an affinity for Marcus the actor because she kind of thinks he's a little fake and you you see that at the beginning of the book um she makes it pretty clear especially later in the book when they actually have sex and when they have like a full-on relationship that she stops writing sex scenes about Marcus or not Marcus specifically sorry about Aeneas and Lavinia because like she can't separate that now because now she knows him as a person um and that like that's a boundary she doesn't want to cross and I think that's an important boundary that she marks herself internally and externally like I'm pretty sure Marcus notices it as well but like I think when you're writing about celebrities the nature of celebrity there's always going to be a parasocial aspect to it there's no way around it the only thing that you can do is uh distinguish between an unhealthy parasocial relationship and a healthy one which is like just like you know your standard like you're a fan of this person's work or you're a fan of the character that they play but you don't have this obsessive thing where you think you know them so that being said since we're talking about how he lied to her for months false he lied to her technically for a month <laughs> And then like a month and a half later, he's like, I really should have told her by now. And I totally get this. If you're dating somebody for just a month, you think you're going to tell them like the one thing that could get you fired, sued for thousands of dollars for damage. Like it's when you see like the 
whole thing about his career being on the line becomes really clear at the end when Alex reveals that he's been writing fan fiction about his character Cupid pegging or being pegged sorry when April sees what Alex goes through she's kind of devastated by it because she's like oh my god he would have gone through the same thing if somehow it got leaked like if I had accidentally told somebody or if like I told somebody online like she has this really tight-knit community and I think there's that always that risk and that pressure of knowing something that you really that like legally could cause somebody issues and that she can get that when they did have their fight he did say it wasn't even about him being scared to tell her because of his career it was more he was scared that she would leave him and like I think that is more about his past trauma than actually lying to her just to keep himself from her I think it was more I do trust you it's more he's scared that she will leave him and I think that's his thing that he he needs to work on internally not based on what she needs to work on with him he literally says I was scared you would leave me and in the heat of the moment like when you're in a fight with somebody and it's there's all these emotions flying I don't think you really hear what the other person is saying right away and I think that's an important thing to talk about because while they don't really resolve it in the moment it takes them quite a few weeks actually to resolve it it seems like they don't really talk it through but I think what they needed the most was that time apart to think about things and think about what the other person was saying and think about their past traumas and what they have revealed to each other and on top of that April has to like she has to like reconcile these two different people that she has in her mind there's Marcus that she knew that she dated in real life and then there's a Marcus online that she knew and who knew her like deepest darkest secrets and who had that background history and it makes more sense how this Marcus is and why he's the way he is because he's revealed his secrets to her too and when she kind of reconciles those two people she realizes it doesn't really matter she loves them anyway and I think that's an important thing to think about because like it's not just them working out their shit together it's they have to work internally on their own shit like she has this whole history of trauma and he has his whole history of trauma and they have to like think about that individually before they actually I guess make it together and I mean like that's I, that's what I that's all I have to say about that so like I think the way they came together at the end I think it, it made sense first of all he doesn't lie for just a month they don't break up in the first, they start dating and they break up two and a half months. He is lying for that full two and a half months because he knows <laughs> during that full two and a half months, you can't say it's been a month, that's a lie. It is absolutely during that full two and a half months. And I think again, he knows so much about her at the onset of their relationship because he knows this, like an aggressive amount. He also knows that she was into him as he was like his pure online personality. And so he also knows that the way that he's telling her like, yo, I got to bounce because he doesn't want to be talking to her online as someone else and in person as someone else is also pretty fucking cruel. But like, bruh, that is some rough, cruel shit. And I think that takes a little while to get over too. Like he knew her well, but he also knew that she wanted that imaginary D and was willing to not go out with like a celebrity from her favorite show, just in case this dude that she'd never met in person wasn't comfortable with that and wanted to date her instead that's something to consider as well he on the other end she was like i i like you better than this super rich celebrity who is in my favorite show in the world i like you better because we've just chatted online uh and then he's like i'm gonna be in antarctica for yemen i'm gonna go to yemen for fucking an <laughs> indeterminate amount of time with an indeterminate wi-fi connection goodbye and then she's just sitting there like well I guess I might as well fucking date this goddamn Marcus guy then since my other <laughs> prospect just fucking ghosted me I mean I didn't say she, he handled it well I'm just saying that like nobody's perfect everybody has their traumas I think he dealt with it the way he had to and I, that's that's all I can say but isn't he pissed he's thinking he's second best because she wants the the fan fiction guy but she's like you know what he doesn't want me so I'm gonna date this celebrity but also the main like crux of a celebrity romance is that they have to be on equal power and already you're starting off on the wrong foot that he knows so much more about her and she has no idea so you can never get the balance back until the end of the book which is kind of disregards everything that they're working towards during the whole book because she never knows the truth until the very end and it's like well 
I don't know what's happening. It's unfair to both. It's unfair to her. And he doesn't really like he says he's sorry, but like, hello, why were you lying for months? I think he relinquishes a lot of power to her in a lot of other aspects. So I think it kind of balances out. Uh, I mean, like sexually, I feel like they're pretty Sexually, equal. for sure. It uh, Relationship-wise, too, at the end, he leaves her alone completely because she does not want to talk to him, which is a huge yeah. deal. I thought that was super well done because, like, if I tell a person not to talk to me, I don't want them begging to come back. Like, I no, fuck off. Like, leave me for at least... <laughs> at least a week and then I'll see if I want to like he comes back to her on her terms and I think that's a huge deal but I will say this is catfishing I will say and I will acknowledge the fact that I do appreciate the fact that the author flipped the catfishing story in the sense that the catfisher is the celebrity the catfisher is the good-looking socially accepted person whatever like he's the one in the wrong so that was a nice flip but at the end of the day, it's still a catfishing situation. And that really, really got to me. And he's like, you need to grovel more. Sorry. The whole time he's like, I get that he's like celebrity. He's like, his friend's like, but it'll ruin your career if they find out. But the fact that he's known this person for two years and he already knows it's her, like, and he's like, mm, I don't know if I can trust her. It's like, well, you were calling her your best friend. And now you're saying that you don't know if you can trust her in her every like, day. I, I don't know that it was about trust as much as fear. Like, I, again, like I said, like he talks about his past traumas and how he, he makes these connections in his brain. He's like, oh, she wrote about Lavinia, about how she has trust issues. She's like, I can't tell her now. And like, I get like that, that anxiety that builds up and it just like freezes you in your ability to do something like that. I think the way the author worked through that was probably true to life because like anxiety does make you free freeze up it does prevent you from doing certain things like it just it's and like when you when you are forced to do them then you're like well fuck I know I fucked that up I knew I was fucking up as I was doing it but guess what <laughs> I give you a lot about this book and even that point but I would not use any to any type point would I use the words true to life Sorry, on that note, I think we've gone super, super over our time for spoiler alert. So next, we're going to go into Take a Hint, Danny Brown. Uh, this is by Talia Hibbert. I will give Maria props right away. This is easily my favorite couple out of all four books here. It's not surprising, I think, to anybody. However, one benefit that she did have is both Danny and Zaf are definitely in my, like, hype wheelhouse. Like, that... In some situations, you're like, oh, I maybe like one character more than I like the other one. Literally, both of them. I was like, I would date them both individually. Uh, so I will give you this couple for sure, for me, my absolute favorite. Um, there are, I will say, a lot fewer issues that I have with this couple. I do think that there was a really well done job with crafting their relationship. But there's a couple of things that I think are worth talking about. And I do feel super strongly about these points. Um, I think one in particular, this book starts off really good with them being friends beforehand and them knowing each other. And I think that's really helpful that they have banter right from the beginning. And you don't really have to go through the like origin story of a relationship. Like you kind of already know who they are. They have good communication throughout. So when they actually do break up in that sort of third act breakup that we know we have to see, I, it didn't even make sense to me why they broke up. I was like, honestly, I feel like you guys could have just talked it out. It, it felt like it's a romance book, so they have to. And that's really why I fell in there. So that whole time I was going through, I'm like, well, I'm just ready for this book to end. Like, let's get them back together and let's have our final little moment because I really like that. But even then, the bigger point of contention is one thing I liked about Danny a lot is that she doesn't want a relationship. And I know it's a romance book, so ultimately the whole point is she's going to end up in one. You know from the moment she says, oh, I don't like relationships, you're like, oh, that sucks for you because 300 pages later, you're definitely going to be in one. Um, but there was an element to this book and some other books here had this element too, which I didn't super love where it's, it's not that she doesn't want to be in a relationship. It's just that no one has ever treated her with the respect she deserves in a proper relationship. And while I get that there's an element of like, no, you have to find the right person for you who like matches up to your relationship style. What it really sort of comes off as for me is like, no, you don't know what a relationship is. I, and then to get to the end of the book. They actually end up having like a very, it reads as a very typical relationship, like a very healthy one, which I really appreciate because not a lot of romance books have healthy relationships, but it feels very standard, very typical. I would have actually loved more if 
instead of having the third act breakup, they maybe had a conversation about like, what does a relationship look like for Danny and Zach? And how does their needs that don't always match up, how do they compromise on that? Like, I would have loved to see more of how do you become in an actual relationship? And how is that relationship different than from what most people would traditionally define as a relationship? Not just how is that relationship actually good versus being bad? Like, I would have loved to see more of that. So that one really stuck to me because as somebody who also is not really a fan of relationships and also doesn't necessarily want to be one, I liked seeing that in Danny. And it kind of sucks to sort of be at the end. It was like, no, you just didn't understand what a relationship was. Don't worry, I'll teach you. Like, mm. um, Okay, so let's do this uh, in part. So the, the first point that you made about the third um, act of the breakup, like feeling forced, um, I will... I will politely disagree um, because I think that we saw it coming um, because Talia has been showing us throughout the entire book, basically Danica's essence, right? So she's exactly what you said, that person that is completely against relationships. And then on the flip side, you see um, Zaf, uh, I think like he enters into this arrangement this uh publicity stunt he enters into this contract basically already having feelings for her so from the bat you know like you see from the first 50 pages of the book you know there's going to be a breakup at the end talia is setting this up from the beginning so i don't think that that should have been either a surprise or felt forced because she had been building it up from the beginning um i will point out as well that i don't think that it was necessarily a traditional breakup i think that like, yes, they had a fight at the end that basically set the whole thing in motion of the breakup. But I think that, again, this is something that Talia had been, bu been building from the beginning. It was basically the end of their contract. Uh, but at the same time, even though we knew that it was coming, um, both we also saw the fact that both characters were dreading the end of it. As much as Danny uh, was against relationship, she was very much dreading having to lose Zaf in her life. And I think that that's a really big difference in this breakup. It's not like they were uh, blindsided by the end of it all. I think that they both knew that it was coming. But I think that Part of that, again, is very much linked to, one, the buildup that Talia was building um, for the story, like that buildup of like the contract is ending, they're going to go their separate ways. That was something that we knew. And also the genre itself, the tropes uh, of the story, I think that it was all connected. Um, um, to the second point where Danica goes from being um, anti-relationship to ending up being, again, in a very like typical relationship by the end. Um, I think same thing. I think it's all very connected to um, the differences between the relationships that she has had in the past. So, for example, um, the catalyst for how she is right now in regards to relationship is the what's this guy, um, Mateo, whatever his name yeah. is. So they were together for four years. Right. So it was her first relationship. Um, he cheated on her. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, uh, at that point in that relationship, when she was with Mateo, she was still very much engaged in her career in her studies. Like she was basically trying to do it all. But I think for, at least from what we get as the reader with her telling the story, um, it's almost like Mateo was expecting all of the attention to be on him and he wasn't necessarily being supportive and being um, as understanding, I guess, of um, Danica as a whole person. Like, I don't think that Danica has ever been the kind of person where a relationship is the be all of her life. Even back then, four years before when she was head over heels for Mattel, even at that point, her personality has always been very strong, very distinct. She was always that person that she like, she's not going to let her career fall to the, uh, to, uh, through the cracks. Like she's not going to let her studies, um, be affected. So she was always that kind of person. And I think at that point, um, Mateo really did hold that against her. And as I guess he did. Like he cheated on her. He shouldn't have, of course, we all know that. Like he should have just broken up with her, gone their separate ways, but that's not what happened. What happened in the story. Um, it's not what happens in every single person's relationship. People cheat. It's 
I'm not a fan. Not 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 a great plot for me. Um, but it, it's what happened. So we're gonna, I'm going to cut you off here because we're already kind of hitting our time and we haven't had a chance to hear from everybody. Uh, so I'm going to give a couple of minutes for anybody who wants to talk about any of those points. Okay. Uh, I do love Danny and Zap. I do still, one of my weird sticking points is the relationship. I don't think it's wrong the way they ended up in a relationship for sure. Whatever. It's the story. It comes with the, <laughs> it comes with the, with the journey. I do wish we had seen something a bit more untraditional in the relationship. I think that's what bothered me like she just felt like an untraditional person and I thought we would get something a bit more untraditional but again we just we don't see them all the way through like I'd be more interested to see what, what do you like mean by untraditional and traditional though like I feel like uh I was thinking like oh they're probably not like the type to get married or maybe they're okay with open relationships like I think that's what I was more interested in because of the way Danny is such a physical person so I thought that would be an interesting aspect, but we didn't really get into that. So I, I don't know. I, I was hoping for something a bit more untraditional, even though I love the main couple. Yeah, it kind of fell into it kind of fell into a, like you kind of expect a little something different, just the way that Danny like talks about herself and how she is in relationships and not in relationships. Um, so like for them, like for you, kind of just want something a little bit different. It just kind of fell into like the same like cookie cutter kind of romance tropes. I never got the sense that he would have told her how he felt and let not unless Twitter exploded with them having him out of the elevator. So like that to me, I was like, I don't think he ever would have said anything. And like, considering he reads a lot of romance novels, I'm like, bro, you know, the signs of you being in love. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, you know, he's got the details on how to be like, this is a, uh, my expression of love for you, which like it's never it's clear that he loves her but i never got the sense he's like you know what i'm gonna tell her today because she breaks up with her girlfriend and then there's like a his moment was there it was there the time was now and he's he let her go by because he was worried i was gonna say like there's a kind of i don't know if it's like a power imbalance but because he's already so invested in her and like he already like knows he like loves her essentially to like hop into this fake relationship just, I don't know, just maybe hope, like, with the hopes that they'll get together, or, like, this is his way to, like... Like, the signs were there. She was bringing him happy. Yeah. Yeah, like, make her happy. I don't think that he entered a fake relationship with the hopes of dating her. I think he entered a relationship recognizing the fact that the relationship was benefiting his charity, and he was very clear to her about that. I think, but I think he was more emotionally attached. Like, he knew in the oh, very absolutely, beginning absolutely. that yeah, he was just like, this charity. is... I'm doing it for charity. He was definitely like, oh, this is not going to end well for me. And I'm like, I think in that sense, there is something to that where, like, you're going into this and maybe you're hoping that you'll eventually convince somebody to date you. Because, again, if, if that girl, if that person he was taking on the elevator wasn't her, he wouldn't have given a shit. He would have been like, I don't care. But since it's you and there's a chance they're going to make out with you and I have to have sex with you, the time is now. Which, I mean, yes, bro, get your, get that shot, shoot your shot. And he did. I but, think just, but. just a quick last minute point to the traditional ver- versus untraditional. I think that we would have seen that development with them. I think that they're definitely the kind of c- couple that would have either opened up to like a polyamorous situation or like maybe like a more kinky experience type of thing. I think that they would definitely be that kind of couple, but I don't think that where we meet them at this point in the story, I don't think that both of them are at that stage of the relationship. Like even if they had started dating from the beginning, I don't think like, I think the whole point here is that Danny needs to take five steps like to the side to the more like romantic, like caring compromise side of a relationship. She needs to first be in that experience with him for them to then together as a couple take the next step into more adventurous and traditional things i don't think that it's fair for her to take him into more untraditional experiences when he's also not ready for it i think that those type of experiences need to be done when the couple is like you know i don't i don't know if it wasn't, i think like i don't think he would do it he'd, he'd be doing it to like make her happy i don't know if he would i, I don't know uh, if yeah, i don't think he'd be into like, like, I don't think he'd be into polyamory. Yeah. I don't think he'd be into that. But I guess like the untraditional sense for me would be them not getting married but being together. Like that to yeah. me, I see that happening for them. So I'm defending this part. But also, like I don't think they'd be because they're too into each other. They love each other too much. They would never want to share 
And, that, and that's why I'm saying, but, like, if that were to ever happen, if they were to explore anything like that, it wouldn't be within the first, like, year, two years of their relationship. I think that they're into each other so much that they would focus on that for a while. We definitely need Sorry, to move on. But then I'm also going to throw one last, like, uh, but then that what really happens is, like, she makes a lot of compromises on her personal beliefs for, like, a decent amount of time with the hope that, like, what, maybe eventually he'll also make some and they can have, like, a slightly untraditional relationship. Like, I think those kinds of conversations can definitely happen early on in the relationship and early on in the book. But yeah, like just for where it ended back to that point, like in terms of what we see of the ending, they seem to be in a very traditional, very standard kind of relationship. And I would have loved to see more, but we really have to move on to Lord of Scoundrels. Steph, get ready. I know you're good to go with all of your notes. Um, My notes. In terms of saying, in terms of trying to find something nice to say about the main couple in this book. And I'm going to say, I understand that this is like a mainstay. I get that Loretta Chase is like, a be-all end-all like she's very well known in the industry people love her romance writers are definitely inspired by her do i understand it no uh but okay fine i get that i might be removed from the concept here i like jessica i like the actually i should say i like the first half of the book i like jessica she is very smart she is portrayed as very independent she knows what she wants and she will never get married she will open up a little shop she will do things her way she starts off the book coming in to save her brother because she recognizes that he's in a bad position and she's going to do something that's uh, not typical for her time and she's going to stand up for herself and she's going to do all these things. And I like that aspect about her quite a bit. I struggle with liking anything about this couple because I don't actually understand what she sees in him at all. In the first moment that they meet, uh, she's with his, she's with her brother um, and Dane or Sebastian Dane is there as well. And immediately knowing everything that she knows about him, she's immediately sexually attracted to him. And I can kind of see that being the base for this relationship, but at no point does this man do anything to justify it not just being lust, but she ends up marrying him. And like, I understand that it's a historical romance, so they have to get married so they can bone, but like the thin veneer of why they get married is insane. This book for me peaks when Jessica shoots him as part of this like very cunning plan to be like, you ruin my reputation, fuck you. You're gonna pay for me to live out the rest of my life and for me to live my dreams. And you're gonna pay all the fucking debts that you made my brother incur, even though I will agree in the sense, half of those are absolutely the brother's fault. And it just kind of continues like that. Like even in the way in which they get together, their very first kiss, afterwards you have a whole monologue of dane being like man i should have just gone back out there and ravaged her no matter what she fucking said she is constantly making concessions for this man for why he might choose to do something and he is constantly being annoyed by her for every single little thing that she does within randomly getting like the level he even gets to a certain point where he's like oh she created this elaborate ruse for people to find us making out so she'd be forced into marrying me even though he's the one that crafted the entire situation they're in they're at a dance she tells him i don't want to dance with you i'm dancing with other people already the guy comes up to have a dance with her this man dane takes her fucking fan looks at the other dude snaps her fan in half to be like you go away this is my dance now she told you she didn't want it you ruined a fan okay i don't understand the implications of that but i know that's fucking she's expensive bruh well, stop ruining things. Okay, okay. as soon as then he breaks dance, the fan. That dance leads them. That, I am not done. That dance leads them <laughs> to where they end know. up in the fucking garden. And then he's so convinced that she set him up, even though the whole time she was like, I don't want to fucking dance with you. And then she also thinks that he set it up. So there's that weird communication. But I can understand why she thinks that. I have no understanding of why this man thinks that. And then to just very quickly get to this point, I already know I'm going too long, but I have so many thoughts about this. You get to the end. This girl who had ambition at the beginning, who was like, I want to start my own little antique shop. I want to do this whole thing. You get to the end. She's a married. She's a wife now. She has an eight-year-old son that popped up out of nowhere. Okay. And yo, you had all these ambitions. You want to You now have the money to start your own little shop if you want. Like you can do all the things you want, but those things don't matter. They're never brought up again. She's a wife now and she's a mother and that's what she's going to be. And it's, it, I hated it. I hated that it ended up with her pregnant, with him knowing she was pregnant because he counted how long, how many weeks it's been since they started having sex and she never has her fucking period. And he's like, you must be pregnant. And she's like, damn, I wanted to be the one to tell you. Excuse me, excuse me. What a horrible ending. No, did not like. 
please defend your book. So many points that they're I all. Like I need to defend it. Number one, number one. The reason she wants to get married is because she is tired of working and having to facilitate money for her imbecile brother to have a life. So she's tired of working. Isn't it fair that she, after she's been a governess for X number of years to, to raise her cousins of all people who are probably savage, she's like, I'm going to have a shop. But if she has a shop, she no longer has her place in society. She can't talk to her friends. She can't talk to her family. So what else is she going to do? She has to go and get married because it's the best easy way to do that. So as she says, she can't buy property. She can't open a bank account. She can't fucking do anything. So she has to get married to facilitate her independence. So the best way for her to be independent is to get married. And yeah, it's not what she wanted. She she was never attracted to Dane without realizing that he's a bad person. She says when she meets him, she says, not only is this mortifying, but inconvenient. I am in lust with Dane, but of all times now of all men, him. She knows what she's getting into. She knows that she is attracted to a shark base essentially but like she's into it why is she wrong to like some guy and he likes her back they're the, the they like each other because they both have they can take on each other and talk to each other in a way that other people can't they're both intelligent they both one up each other every time he sets a trap for her she goes and does it better so in conclusion for the fucking first point that i've already forgot what i was talking about she has to get married essentially to save her status in society because if she doesn't why should this man ruin her life because he's ruined her reputation and the only way to save that is to marry him and he's stuck with her now forever it's better of the deal she caught a shark man she caught a shark she's now not only can she and you also also on the side point how can you talk about like why am i attractive to opie from sons of anarchy why is she attracted to him sometimes you just can't explain it <laughs> there's every time being attractive to somebody and marrying them and loving them She's she she loves him. So does he. He loves her too. Like they never don't love each other. They both love it. He is so into her that when they first make out, his knees wobble. He is overcome by her. Okay. <sighs> I forget your other points, but I'm too riled up. We'll go to the sun. Yeah. You start. You open up this book with a 44-page prologue that explain. This is basically he thinks he's unlovable. He's abandoned by his mother. He's been abandoned by his father. So like. Why the focus of this book is on his emotional journey, not hers, because she is already perfect, smart, witty, intelligent. She can play him like a fiddle, which she does this whole time. And the reason that that 44 prologue, prologue exists, which is so abnormal for any other book in the entire romance genre, is for you to understand like how she could love him because he has such a bad dramatic past. So if you're opening up with a son, you're going to have to close with a son. Like it's a book, your book ending for the plot. Yeah, because... Why? If he has a son and he doesn't take care of it, he's just as bad as his father. He's just as bad as his father. Yes, he is. He needs to take care of his son. He could also just not have a know, son no, no. previously. He was an asshole. Like he's you can't you can't call him a dick and then be like, oh, he has a son. He can't have a son. He needs to be a dick in all ways. And the best way to prove that he's an asshole is to have a child, which he does. And then, but the hello, let me finish. But the proof is how he takes care of this child because he then. Of course, he steps up to the plate and takes care of his kid. Yeah, he left her, that woman. He took her out. And Jessica could have been like, I don't want to see this kid in my life. But she's like, you're an idiot. And she calls him on his dumb shit. She's like, why didn't you grab him when you saw him running by? You're the idiot. Like, you, this is your son. You need to take care of him. So she not only calls him on his bullshit, but then she's like, okay, well, you're going to step up to the plate and do what you need to do. And I forget every other point you made. But if you can tell me something, I will talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, because I want to jump in here to say, you don't need to have a son you don't take care of to be an asshole. It's clear he's an asshole up until that point. I completely disagree with the idea that this man needed to have a son. He only needed to have a son so this book could end with them being a happy little family. That's the only reason this son exists. Disagree. Absolutely. Because he could not be his father in a lot of ways. They could naturally have a child that they're about to, and he could just treat that child better. You didn't need an eight-year-old kid to be traumatized for eight years in order to have that ending. Like you just had him be his father. No. The crux, the, it begins with the book of his father mistreating him. The only way for you to see the difference in that Dane is growing is that you have to see him with a child. Like that's how it's gotta be. You gotta bookend it with different points of view of the same thing. He could have been awful and so left his kid for not you could easily just have an it. epilogue. Of what? what? Why would you need that? You need you to just have an you have to hone the point that he is awful and that he's working on it with Jessica's help because she is the better of the two of them. She is making and, him oh, work. Nothing. His, 
whatever yeah. it's called. That's another point. What a fucking terrible relationship. Oh, I'm perfect. I'm self-aware. I'm great. I've done the work to make sure I'm a good person. You know what's a great relationship? The woman has the woman has to fix the man. Get this dude who's an asshole. Who literally, by the way, there's a quote. There's a quote. Yeah, there's a quote where he literally is like in his head, he has to separate her from all females. And that's how he can respect her. Because literally he says like, I've never met a female before he knew an equation. He says all this random shit about constantly. So literally near the end of the book, when he finally starts to realize like, oh, maybe I don't just want to fuck her. Maybe I do kind of love her. He literally has to separate her from all females because that's how much respect he has for women. I mean, and you can't just separate someone from their gender. She's a fucking woman. It's ridiculous nonsense. But then what unfair to her? Because she does have better options out there or she could not be married. But there are better options, which she herself says, as you point out, why is she with this man? I get that she's attracted to him, but at no point does she do anything to warrant her having feelings for him. He doesn't treat her well at all until you get into they're married and he finally starts to consider that she might be a person. But the amount, she has to babysit him to get there. She has to tell him like, oh, fine, I'll be your perfect little wife then and show him for a month that that's not what he actually wants. What fucking emotional labor this woman has to do away. in this book. She never goes away with interacting with him being like, oh my God, I'm never going to talk to him because she's matching him every time he sets up a stupid fucking thing. She's like, you know what? I'm going to set it up even more and I'm going to go faster and further more than you did, which she does every single time when he's unbuttoning her glove in the cafe. His idea is like, I'm going to ruin you. And she's like, actually, that's not how it's going to go because then she says, no, I'm going to ruin you. And everyone in this room is going to think that you're into me, which they do. They don't They don't think that she, her reputation is ruined. They think that he is now in love with her, which is true. But now people have to be like, he... He thought he was going to do it one way, but she flips the tables on him, and it's now he's the one that lost his reputation. But I would argue that the I was going to say I'd argue that the one upping though is probably fairly toxic on her part. So, I mean, you got also play with FYI, what, what a good fucking point about that fucking scene with the unclenching the gun. Because let's be clear, this is the 1800s. That man essentially walked up to a woman who didn't want this to happen because she says she should pull her hand away, but she can't. She's fucking like terrified to, but then also yeah, a little she bit she wants to. But this is the equivalent. This is the equivalent. This is the equivalent because this, again, this is the 1800s. She's got to keep her fucking hands covered unless she's eating. This is the equivalent of this man walking up to her and slowly unbuttoning her jacket or unzipping her hoodie in person. Like he is showing her 18th century equivalent of cleavage. If that happened to you now, that's not fucking okay. It's not cool if that happens. And it's not fair that you should have to constantly one-up him. And quite frankly, the idea that like all these people suddenly think like, oh, it's that he's in love with her, both of their fucking reputations are ruined. Because well, she is a woman in the 1800s. Credit. If she didn't want something to happen, she could say no and she would have done it. But she wants this to happen. She's into him. She's like, wants in to see where book, this goes. She, she says she wants to, she should pull her hand away. But she's, again, it's but toxic she she's a little bit into it. But also, she can't. But why can't she's she be terrified into it? Where does it say she can't be into it? Like, why can't it's she? Not why cool. she, she He's want? undressing her in public. It's her glove. It's not undressing her. But she. It's the eighteenth fucking century. It's not a glove. It's a lot more than that. She's still into it. She she constantly imagines making out with him. She is so into him. She wants him. And like, why can't she? Why can't she explore that a little bit more in a safe place? We're, we're going off. I think I think that I think that she just so happens to be like in lust with him. He's the first person who's showing her that kind of sexual attention where they vibe, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm enjoying this." And I think that she ca she got caught up in that with the fact that she realized that she needed to be married to have that independence. I think that that was more what was going on on that side. Yeah, I totally believe. Sure, he could fall in love with her, but I think for her, she was more infatuated with the fact. That that he was making her feel physical things that she hadn't felt before. And coincidentally, she needed to get married. And like, why can't but she, she also, that? Like, coincidentally, she that in the, in the century that she's in. Coincidentally, like, she didn't need to get married. That's not why she gets married. Yeah, FYI, she did. She, she has a plan because he ruined her reputation. Because they both ruined each other's reputation. So the only way to both make them more people, majority what of people great, for them to get together. What a great basis so for stressed. a relationship. What a great base for a relationship. They two people but should she's not, not be together. She wanted him and he wanted her. Like you're disregarding their feelings not, for each other just because you don't unhappy. think that they designed. But they they have said repeatedly. But that tell they're me into each other. But tell me why they love. Like tell me why she loves him. I get that she's sexually attracted to him. 
But what does he do to warrant her loving him? Also, you can have feelings for people you shouldn't have feelings for. And this was a book that someone chose to write. They chose to represent this as a relationship. So all of the feelings she has for him are because someone sat down there and said, I'm going to write it this way. They made that choice. And that's a terrible relationship to put down. There's no reason why she should love him. He's abusive to her emotionally, but she's still like, no, I'm gonna put in the effort and I'm gonna make this work. And this man doesn't even consider putting in the effort until we are beyond, we are getting into the end of the book territory where he's finally like, all right, I guess you were right. Nah, I'm gonna let other people say their piece too, because again, we've definitely gone over for this section. I mean, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think <laughs> Christina brought up all the valid points I was thinking, There's which is fine. Thing. I think my one, um, my one issue is, Steffi said at the end they brought in his son to make him appear better, but I don't think I don't it think actually better did is the that. Word. It's trying, it's trying to show that he's going to put in the work to be better father than what he had before. Yeah, but again, you, as you said, he does it with her help. It's not of his own volitions. I think yeah. if we saw the parts where he actually cared for the kid, I'd be more like I'd believe that more it, rather than the part. You don't really. You yeah, get you like get what the, a page of it. Well, you don't want you. You guys are already Versus mad that the like, kid exists to begin with, so she can't give him any more screen time than what she gave, which was the chapter and him. I have getting him into no, getting him fit, getting him clean, getting him fed, getting him away from the bad people that just want to exploit him. So yeah, she's I think taking him okay. away. I have like no issue with this kid existing. I'm totally fine with like you show him as the son before and you show him as whatever your mirror. little bookend speech. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with that. I just, I do not think it did him justice in any way. <laughs> he calls the kid it for so long. For so for, long. Totally forgot. He needs to be the most perfect man. He's not a perfect man. He's he's fucking, he's the worst and he knows it. Literally, he needs to work on it and no one said doing. that. Literally, no one said he'd be perfect. Don't start taking it to the extremes. Don't think he's going to be perfect. The idea is that there's just like, there's virtually no redeeming qualities. To this point, we still don't have a single redeeming quality. But oh, we have quality. talked he's about Lord Birdie. of Scoundrels a lot. Are we done? Yeah, exactly. There's none. We do not have there a redeeming quality. We are aggressively over. You had plenty of time to talk about it because we've definitely been talking about this for 20 minutes. <laughs> we have... Yeah, Make me we have Lord of Scoundrels. That's the main couple. Steph did a great Sweaty. job in matching the energy that this book needed uh, based on how it, how it made people feel. But that was Lord of Scoundrels. Now yeah, let's apparently. talk Kiss Quotin'. It's been over an hour since we introduced this book. I will keep this short and so, slow. <laughs> overall, I will say Kiss Quotin' was kind of a little bit of a disappointment for me because I was actually very excited about it. It was a book that I thought would be very good. For me, the main couple wasn't as strong as I really wanted them to be. There were things about both of them that I did quite like. I really liked the portrayal, and we'll talk about this more later, Michael's family home. That stuff was all really good. There are things about Michael that are definitely particularly interesting. Um, and there are things about Stella that are really interesting as well. However, together is where it kind of fell apart. When it comes to Stella, Stella one thing that I noticed um, that came up quite a bit was that Stella has symptoms that come from uh, being on the spectrum that it's weird they have this tendency to like disappear around Michael when she's with him at this very, very loud club where she talks about how, you know, it's, it's too much sensation. It's overstimulating her. It's definitely a problem, but she's managing it when he's near. And the moment he walks away, she starts to freak out and she needs to leave. And that is a little bit of a recurring theme where even internally in her monologue, she says so many things of like, well, with other people, this is really hard. But with him, this man she kind of barely knows, it's so easy. And that was something that for me, I felt kind of missed the mark on trying to represent her as opposed to them working together to navigate what her having autism means and them having their own relationship based on that. It's a little bit like, no, it's chill. She's just not really like that when they're around each other, even though she is kind of like that when she's around his family and other people. But when it's just them together, she isn't. So I thought that was kind of weird. I thought portraying him as a sex worker and him being actually like a very, very bad one was an interesting choice. His opening monologue where they're going to meet, he's so rude about the concept of his customers. Like the way that he talks about them, he's like, oh, she's probably another rich old lady that just wants to like, wants me to eat her out for three hours. 
and then, you know, <laughs> toss money at me. Like, there's something a way that he talks about his job where I get that, you know, it's, I mean, it's a job at the end of the day. You're not always going to think fairly of it. And it's definitely something that he has to do. It was a lot the way that he talked about it. And I find that for him being the professional, there's a certain extent where I thought they started with equal footing because he's the professional when it comes to sex, but ultimately she's paying him. So it should have, I think, kind of evened out. But throughout them, he kind of negates sometimes things that she wants. Like this is another book that had that example of, she says that she doesn't like being eaten out because the other time she's done it, it hasn't been good for her. And he kind of pushes and it's like, no, it's that the other people that didn't, didn't do it right. And then he kind of pushes her into that. And it's a little bit like, hey, she's been teaching you for lessons. She can decide what the lessons are each time, you know? Um, and you see little bits of that sort of throughout the book. Um, and it th that I think was sort of the main the main sort of crux about them. He's a little bit possessive about their relationship in ways I don't like. It's just I, I almost preferred them as separate people than I did to them as a relationship. It just didn't quite work for me. And for that reason, the whole romance kind of was a struggle because that's like the core of it. It's one of those situations where I'll definitely read other Helen Huang books. I think the writing was solid, but I don't think I would read any more in this series or any more about these two. So I think one of the things to note, um, like during a lot of the book, um, Michael doesn't know that Stella is autistic. And I think that's a big thing to remember when she's um, reacting in certain ways and he's and how he reacts in certain ways what i really like is that from the beginning they're both very other than obviously like she's not going to be like i have autism they're both both very upfront about what they want from this uh she just wants someone to teach her how to be intimate and she's like this is what i want and he right away is like okay i don't know how this is going to work but let's do a trial run let's do a test run see if this gonna, is going to work for both of us they're very upfront about that and the entire time, he's never judgmental about her request to teach him to be intimate or to, for him to teach her to be intimate. He realized it's a little bit, it's obviously something different from the other clients he has. Um, and she never, she doesn't know, he doesn't know she's autistic, but he never treats her any differently throughout the course of the book, just because she has maybe like these, what he thinks are like quirks or something like that. Um, I really, yeah, like I really liked how he was. Like he's always asking for permission for every like for everything when she like reacts and freaks out right away when he like touches her like the minute she undoes a button and she like freaks out and goes like still bored he stops and he's like you know what we're not going to do anything else we're going to like watch a movie and cuddle i think i suggest we you know take our clothes off just like keep it in this kind of mood keep kind of trying to do what you were asking for but that's up to you i'm not going to push you to do anything that you don't want to do um so i think that i don't i think because from the beginning that they have that very kind of open um like she's even asking him can i do this can i do that can i touch you in a certain way because they're both very open with each other about that kind of stuff she's able to relax a little bit and she's able to maybe explore things that she wouldn't normally have done with other people even in like other social situations because she has that kind of trust in him for like his sex work i do agree that he uh he may not be the best sex worker which you know you're not supposed to fall in love with your client very pretty woman or it's like a reverse pretty woman you're not supposed to fall in love with your client that's like rule number one um but i don't think that he he isn't doing he isn't doing this because he wants to i think this is because he wants he's an aspiring designer and then he also so it's like a hobby or like a a dream job he would like to take up eventually but because his mom is sick and there's a lot of bills there and his dad's a piece of shit and like peaced out and like took everyone's money he he's doing something that he know he can be good at even if he doesn't have to try a amount. he always knows he's been good at sex it's just that's something he knows he's been good at for a long time uh and it's something that he can make money quickly with because he knows how to do it quick like he knows how to do it well so it's not necessarily a job that he wants to do, but something kind of out of necessity. And I think that because he has that past um, kind of problematic relationship with his last client, Eliza, um, he that's when he started to make it so that he was only going to do one date. So he wasn't going to have repeat customers. And I'm glad he set those boundaries because you shouldn't be 
you shouldn't be doing things with people if you're not if you don't want to. And I think there is a kind of a power ba- power imbalance. I think there already is kind of a power imbalance when you are dealing with sex workers, just because their profession and what they're doing is so often looked down upon and it's so often seen as like unsavory and stuff like that. And it's like people treat sex workers like shit. So to have a client that's going to be like going after him and like talking to him when he cuts off ties, that's a huge problem. And so, yeah, I can, I can understand why he'd be pissed if someone keeps messaging him and like calling him and trying to get in contact with him when he's like, no, this like this contract is done. Like I don't want anything to do with you anymore. So I think in that case, he's not, he isn't the best sex worker because he, you know, falls in love with Stella and his client. But um, I don't think he does it as something that he, because he wants to, it's something more about out of a necessity to bring in money for himself in like a quick way. Open it up to the table. I'll keep, I'll keep, <laughs> I'll keep it there. <laughs> I died when you said that he's a sex worker He can, because he can make money and he's quick about it. I died. I also like... He's good and he's like, quick. I question so much to how much money he's making with one date a week. Like well, at that point, that how much mom, are you making? His mom's, uh, his mom's uh, like laundromat. Yeah. But surely you could supplement your income. You're only working once a week unless you're charging a lot and you're like a high profile client. Yeah, like I actually would love to know how much he's making. And like, I mean, how did he end up on the, like how, that's of all the jobs that he he's like I'm gonna do this one because the like what was it, like we don't know <sighs> is he with an agency is he well, is he, he a loan man how does this work <laughs> I got questions I need to he know I need to, I think no, he's with an agency now yeah well because he went to fashion school and he had a chance to do fashion stuff but then his mom got sick so he had to come back. And help her run the laundromat. Is like, it laundromat? It's a little dry, dry cleaners. Dry someone approach him, send him a card. Did he be like, you know what? I'm gonna call this agency and see what's up. Put him, put my profile out. No, oh no, I was gonna I say like know. I just felt at least like with this couple, like I love this book. I love this one, the follow up. Um, I think that she's a great author. Um, I think that this like the the downside for me with this couple was that it felt a little bit insta love. But I will say that he brought on those like very intense himbo vibes like he's pining for her and yeah he's in he's in like a dangerous like risque profession but he's very much like a himbo softy like i would say i don't think he's nice enough to qualify as a himbo a himbo needs to have a sort of kind obliviousness to him and I think a good note, Tamarina, is that, again, the insta love. This is another situation where, by the end, I can understand why they have feelings for each other. Like, I get the traits in each other that they like. But at the beginning, with how quickly they get there, with how quickly Stella's whole world becomes about Michael, Stella does, that is fast. That, she says a lot of her autism, like, she, she talks about it right away. And, like, her narration is part of um, her autism is being obsessive. And she's like... I think right away she's like this could be she's like I think I could like be obsessed with this guy she's like that's why she like talks to me she's like I don't want to be that obsessive client that you had like that you had after I don't want to be that but then that makes sense for her but not for him like the fact that he is a professional should make him a little bit more aware and careful and like he should know to come in with a wall like all the way up like well, is he just so to, used to like times, old like, is he just so used to, like, old rich ladies that, like, he's That's just, like, he's the first woman. He's, like, a 28-year-old, like, hottie. He's not expecting, he, he's not expecting he, someone to be young. He introduces her to his family early on, even though she's a client. And, like, I know that part of it is, they're like, oops, dating. they met each other. That's because they're fake dating. Yeah, but they didn't need to fake date to that level. Like, this is still a, <laughs> still <laughs> still a transactional relationship. Uh, you can fake date without being like, hey, let me introduce you to my entire family. Like, that's a lot. That's especially a lot of his family. Well, How much was she paying him for the service? Do they it's discuss like 50 figures? Grand, I think. That's the thing. Huh? That's part of, it's 50 grand. Like, that's part of the reason why, like, he might have yeah. not wanted to do it, like, to start this, like, fake, like, intimate relationship. But because he needed the money to cover his mom's bills. Like he like he needed that fifty grand, and if Stella's just like that's Stella's someone's just, like, yearly salary, you? like fit like Stella makes money. She offered to buy him a car. 
Like, she but that's another. Catch. That's another situation where, like, when you have to force the writing so much to make up for a power imbalance, to be like, okay, maybe he is super reliant on this. So to make up for that fact, we'll make him super into it. That's what I'm just like. It just doesn't feel. I don't know. It, it was a lot. The power imbalance, like, it, it kind of balanced out in different ways because while she might be, she might be the wealthier of the two. She might be more the, the more successful, which I do like how they have that kind of uh, gender role switch in this kind of book. Uh, she has that wealth that like she has that wealth power, but he has that kind of social power that she's seeking. So in a way, it kind of balances out. That's how that's how their that's how their relationship works. But fifty k is life changing money. Fifty k is even if you were uncomfortable with this, pulling out of fifty k when you have what he has when you are you know, doing the side job you're not really that into. Um, and the I mean, 50K could be the need of never having to do it. He was so attracted to her. He's like, 50K? <laughs> okay, uh, let me think about it. But that's what I'm saying. Like, when you have to write that in, that's when it starts to feel like a little like, mm, I don't know. But yeah, overall, I'd say, just going back to it, just disappointed. But I'll let, if anybody has any final notes about Kiss Coden, I'll let them go. But then we're going to go into the voting round, y'all wild i'm ready to vote Ugh. all right well that was fun oh boy uh does anyone need any deliberating time or do we feel like we can good we can go right into voting uh so as a reminder people are going to be voting on the book that now after this whole episode they think had the best main couple that wasn't their own book so you can be swayed by someone's debates maybe someone's debate didn't help you at all and you're like no i still feel the exact same way i i felt when i got started or you want to be strategic and you want to vote for a book that you don't think will get a lot of votes so that your book can win. I don't care. That's your opinion. You can do whatever you want in this section. But what people should be voting on is the debate and the main couple in the book. Did someone justify for you that actually, yeah, they deserve <laughs> to be the main couple? It's fine. We're going to go through it. Things fell. It's part of the drama. All right, Natasha, what do you think? Which book do you think has the best main couple? I debated being really strategic about this, but I got to be true to myself. Uh, Danny Brown's couple. <laughs> Danny Brown and Zaph. Marina's like... <laughs> All right. Uh, Stephanie, what do you think is the best main couple? Uh, I, I'm going to have to say Marina too. Danny and uh, Zaph. All right. Marina, you'll be the this first non-take-a-hit Danny yeah, Brown vote. So I was, I'm very torn still to this second between Nat's and Janice's book. Sorry, Steph. Um, but <laughs> I will say, at least for me personally, as a reader, catfishing is a no-go. So I'm going to go with Janice's book. Hey. Kiss <laughs> good choice. Great choice. All right. Janice, which book okay, do you think had the best main couple? Again, with the catfishing, I can't do it. So it's got to be Danny and Zeph. Well, that's interesting. So we're not going to get into my vote, which is worth two points. And we currently have three points for Take a Hint, Danny Brown. We have one for Kiss Quotin. We have none for Spoiler Alert. Kind of surprising. Um, so either I could tie this up or I could give it all to Danny Brown. I will say I'm going to give a shout out to Shanice for debating Kiss Quotin fairly well. I think they're still not my main favorite main couple because just in the book, I still wasn't into it. But definitely you made me see some things in other ways, which I think was really good. So I'll give you that. Uh, I, I mean, Steph, there was no level you could have <laughs> debated to make me go for the Lord of Scouts. Like, like, to be fair, you were starting off with like a very difficult hill and you climbed it to the best of your ability, 1000%. But unless you were like, oh, you read the wrong book. I don't know that I could have gone there. <laughs> um, both Take a Hit, Danny Brown, and Spoiler are on even kill for me. I think they both have very healthy portrayals of relationship. I both they have fairly equally balanced relationship. But at the end of the day, for both debating and for how much I love them, it's got to be Take a Hit, Danny Brown. Leaving us at this point, Take a Hit, Danny Brown is already at five points. Kiss Quoten is at one. And both Spoiler Alert and Lord of Scoundrels are at zero. That was our... Wow. First debate episode. Congratulations, Marina. How are you feeling very quickly at this moment with the end? 
Um, I'm very happy, but also disappointed. Disappointed just because I personally wanted to say a lot more than what I did. I went for too long, but I had more to say. Um, and I wanted to have been able to say all the things that I wanted to say, but well, I'm very happy. Did, well, so I couldn't. <laughs> hopefully, well, Shanice, hopefully you'll be able to talk about them in the upcoming episode. Um, um yeah. How, how's everybody, how's everybody feeling? How's, how's everybody feeling after episode one? I'm tired. Um, I, I will be very surprised if anyone is still listening. It, this is a very long yeah. I If you see a lot of random jump cuts in this episode and it seems odd to you that we're talking about how long this is, it's because I did a lot of work editing, but I'm also very lazy. So maybe you're going to see all one hour and 40 minutes of it. Who's to say? I was just going to say we could have like the, the, the sound... <laughs> Or like the sound from, could never, you know, like the SpongeBob thing. Two hours two later, later? Oh <laughs> like just cut, that cut go in a lot of different sections. Um, all right, that was episode one. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We are going to be back next week. We're going to be doing basically the same thing, but we're going to talk about our second most important factor for a romance book, which is going to be the setting, the universe, how the other characters contribute to the main story. This is going to be really interesting for Steph this time because she's the only one that has a very distinct universe whereas everyone else is set in contemporary times. Let's see if we get just as heated. I have to assume we will. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. You can also listen to our podcast, Everyone and Their Sister. You can find it on all main podcast streams, or if you're listening to this right now, you can actually watch the video of these debates. I don't know why you would, but you can. You can go to YouTube, Everyone and Their Sister on there as well. Uh, and if you have any thoughts, if you have any thoughts on specific debate points, maybe, listen, a lot of people love Lord of Scoundrels. I'm sure someone out there is 1000% on Steph's side. Please, for her sake, go onto our Twitter, go onto our Instagram, at EatsCast, and defend her and her book. Let her know that you support her, because sadly, I think in this room, there's not a lot of it. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. horrible ending. No, did not like.